we continue our study in the prophecies that make up the last chapter of Daniel. And this morning we'll be in Daniel chapter 9. And along with this uh, sermon this morning, I have a handout that was in the bulletin. Does anyone need a copy of that? Okay, can you come here for a second? Just leave your hand up and Jonathan will get you a copy. It would be helpful for you to follow along in the passage, the, the, in the text of Scripture, as well as with this handout that hopefully will be um, uh, advantageous for you as we look at this together. At the time of this prophecy, the year is 538 B.C., Daniel has been reading through the prophecies of Jeremiah we saw last week regarding uh, Babylon's capture and captivity of Judah. And as Daniel's reading Jeremiah's prophecy, he discovers that God had prophesied that the captivity would last for 70 years. And so armed with that knowledge that the captivity would, be only, uh, would only last for another three years, Daniel prays to God and gives praise for His character and for the past work of God on the people of Israel. And then he spends most of his time, Daniel does in prayer, confessing to God his sin and the sin of the people of Israel. And then he concludes by calling God or asking God to act on behalf of Israel by ending the captivity. So even though he knew what God was going to do, he still prayed and asked that God would do it. And while he was praying, God sent the angel Gabriel to answer his prayer. And he answers the prayer by telling him about what will happen to the Jews in the near and the distant future. And so this passage that we're going to study is really a response to Daniel's prayer to end the captivity and help them in this uh, and what's going to happen in the future. So let's begin this morning by reading the last part of Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. With, uh, beginning with verse 19. Here we'll see the, the end of what we looked at last week, but, but the end of his prayer, and then it'll carry us into our passage, which begins with verse 20. So starting with verse 19, this is the Word of God. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For Your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because Your city and Your people are called by Your name. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come, come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to, steal, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing 
of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war, desolations, and and desolations are determined. And He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, He will put up a, a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. As we come to understand the meaning of this passage, I think it would be helpful to answer four questions. And you see them for you on your handout. First, what is the topic of the vision? So what is this vision about? And then secondly, what is the angel saying about the topic of the vision? So what is he saying about it? Then thirdly, what is the meaning of weeks when it says 70 weeks, 7 weeks, 62 weeks? What is this weeks uh, referring to? And then, and then finally, how does this prophetic vision fit into history? How does it fit into the timeline of human history? So first, what is the topic of the vision? If we're going to understand this passage, this is what you need to know when you come to every passage in the Scripture. You answer this question, what is the topic of this passage? Hey, what is what is the topic? So the way that I've uh, explained how to do this and the way that I understand how to do this is the same way that you learn the topic of a newspaper article, right? You don't not necessarily by looking at the heading because sometimes the headings are misleading. It's by reading the article. So you read it, you read it, and you may have to reread it because you didn't quite understand everything, and you come to understand the topic of the article by understanding the things that are repeated throughout the article. And so one of the helpful ways that you can study the scriptures is if you just take a passage of Scripture and see what kinds of things are being repeated. So, if I were, if I were in the back talking to the, one of the guys after the service and, and you heard the words Red Wings and Datsuk and Goal and Win and Playoff, you might think, we're talking about hockey. And you don't have to even hear the word hockey for, for you to know that we're talking about hockey. The same thing is true in the Scriptures. Find out what the topic is by looking at what is being talked about within the passage. And I think the answer to this question, this first question, what is the topic, is found in verse 25. Here's what the angel Gabriel says to Daniel. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, so Jerusalem's been destroyed, or or it will will be destroyed, from that time until the Messiah, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And so very simply, you could say the vision is a prophecy about the Messiah. This is about the Messiah. We, we can get lost in all these weeks and, and some of the, the symbolism that's here, but what we can't miss is that this is ultimately about the Messiah and how He relates to the people Israel. Okay, So that's the topic of the vision based on what I can tell. Secondly, what is the angel saying about the vision? Okay, This is also something... If you're going to study a passage, first you find out what the topic is and then what is the person saying about the topic. Okay, So it's not just 
you know, you might hear the words that, that we're talking, and you find out that we're talking about hockey, but what are we saying about hockey? Is it that we hate the Red Wings? Is it that we think the Red Wings need to be sold to another city? Is it that we love them, that we think they're going to win the championship? What are we saying about those things? So it's one thing to learn the topic. It's another to learn the, what they're saying about the topic, and that's what we want to find out here. What is he saying about Messiah and his relationship to, in, to Israel? And I think there are a couple things we ought to see. First is that Daniel should have paid attention to this vision. Look at the end of verse 23. The angel says, So give heed to the message, or listen to the message, and gain understanding. So uh, he's supposed to learn something. Whatever he hears about the Messiah and his relationship to Israel, he's supposed to learn something. Same thing in verse 25. So you are to know and to discern. Okay? And, and what he's saying is about the Messiah and his relationship to Israel is that the Messiah will arrive according to a timeline that the angel Gabriel has given. And in order for us to get kind of a, a base here, we need to understand these first, this basic timeline. The, the starting point of the timeline is the restoration of the temple in Jerusalem. We saw that in verse 25. Notice it says, You are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's the starting point. Once there's a decree by some king to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that's the starting point of this timeline that has the 70 weeks. Okay. The... the uh, the, the next thing that we see is that the Messiah is going to come after the 69 weeks. Look at verse 25 again. So we are to know and discern that the issuing to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that's the starting point, until Messiah the Prince, and we could add the word comes, until He comes, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So a total of 69 weeks. So starting point of the prophecy or the timeline is the decree to restore Jerusalem following the 69 weeks, the Messiah will come. And then verse 26 tells us that He's going to be cut off for a time and that the temple will be destroyed. So after the 69th week, the Messiah, yes, He'll come, but He's also going to be cut off. And then in the 70th week, the temple worship will be stopped and replaced with this abomination. Look at verse 27 with me. And He will make a firm covenant, this prince that we're going to learn about, and He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's talking about the last week, the week that's following the 69th week. And in the middle of the week, He will put a stop to sacrifice. And on the wing of abomination will come, on, uh, come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. So, we're going to talk more about what happens during that seventh, 70th week. But there's going to be a stopping of temple worship at the middle of that week and then there's going to be a final destruction at the end of that week. Alright, so the vision is about the Messiah and His relationship to Israel. What is He saying about the vision? He's saying there's some kind of a timeline that you should discern, that you should know. There's a starting point, there's a 69-week point, and then there's a 70, 70th-week point. You need to know about those things. That's what He's telling Daniel. So, if we're going to know them, we need to understand what the word weeks means. To get a better understanding of, and that's our third question that we want to answer, to get a better understanding of what the word weeks means, you would be helped by looking at the margin of your Bible at verse 24. What is another way to say 70 weeks according to the margin of your Bible? What does it say? 
got to have your, your bifocals on. you got to look really close in that really fine print. What does it say? 70 weeks or... Do you see it there? Verse 24. 70 units of seven. Or mine says 70 periods of seven. And the reason for that is because that's a literal transi- translation of the Hebrew phrase. So if we were to take the Hebrew and do a one-for-one translation, it would say 70 units of seven. Okay, Which could be referring to 70 weeks, right? A unit of seven days. Uh now, to be clear, that word weeks or that word units of seven in the, in the Hebrew that's translated weeks here is also used in other parts of the Old Testament, even in Daniel chapter 10, verse 2. And it's meant to mean actual weeks or it's, it's, it's given to mean actual weeks. But here we know it's not referring to seven, 70 periods of seven days or 70 weeks. And let me show you why. Look at verse 25 again. You are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, so if we can find out that starting point, until the Messiah, the a Prince, comes, there will be seven and sixty-two of these units. So if that were actual weeks, then this would happen within, really, Daniel's lifetime. Right? It would happen within a year, a year and a half or so if it happened within 69 weeks of the restoration of that temple. Actually, the the restoration of that temple doesn't start until uh, 484 B.C., so I I misspoke just now. Um, That's not going to be during Daniel's lifetime. But the point is is that the the Messiah would have come in the 5th century B.C. So I'm suggesting to you that that weeks actually doesn't mean our kind of week. It means something else. It doesn't mean a period of seven days. It probably means a period of either seven months or seven years. So let's think about it in terms of verse 25. What if it were seven months, a period of seven months, that each one of these units were seven months long? Well, that would be 69 periods of seven months would be about 40 years. And if that were the case, that would mean from the time that the temple was decreed to be reconstructed, 40 years later, the Messiah would come. And that would put us into uh, the 5th century B.C. But we know that the Messiah did not come until the 1st century B.C. And so therefore, the only option for understanding this word weeks has to be a period of seven years. And that completely fits within what the Hebrew text would say. That there are going to be 70 periods of seven years. So when you think about weeks in terms of Daniel chapter 9, you should think of uh, a period of seven years. And that would mean that from the time that there's a decree for the temple to be rebuilt, 483 years later, or uh, 69 sevens, that's when the Messiah will come. There will be a period of 483 years between the, the decree to restore the temple and the Messiah. This is an amazing prophecy if you think about it. The angel Gabriel is telling him to Daniel, listen, if you can discern when the decree is to restore the temple, you will know when the Messiah comes. It will be 69 weeks after that according to verse 25. Now, there's one uh, 
more technical thing that we need to understand because, um, and I know it's already been uh, pretty heavy so far, but it's going to get heavier. Okay, so just stick with me. Uh, one thing that you need to keep in mind is that we use the Gregorian calendar. Okay, we use it based on the sun, and it, it, it basically is 365 and a quarter days, roughly, every year. So that's why we have 365 days for three years, and then on the fourth year we have how many? 366, right? The leap year, we add a day in February. Okay, so that's just to account for the sun so that if we didn't do that over a period of decades and centuries, the sun would be coming up at different times that we're used to. Okay, so, so they do that, and they're, they're doing it according to the sun. They're keeping the calendar according to the sun. Okay, that's, what, that's the calendar we use. But that's not the calendar that the Jews would have used. They used what's called the Jewish calendar, uh, and, and the Jewish calendar was according to the lunar cycle rather than the solar cycle, meaning according to the moon, so that every month was 30 days. That's it. It's 30 days. You know, we have some 30, some 31, some 29. And so our moon comes up on and goes down on different days. But, but not theirs. They would have 30 days every month and they would have 12 months of that. So their year actually was only 360 days. And I believe that Gabriel is using a Jewish calendar and one reason I think so is because of his audience, right? He's talking to a Jew about the Jew's future. And so it makes sense that he would use a Jewish calendar, one that had only 360 days. And the second reason is that Revelation also uses a Jewish calendar when it talks about end times events. Now, Jim was just reading earlier from Revelation 11, and he said that there was going to be a period of 1,260 days, which is speaking about the first half of the tribulation, and that lasts for three and a half years. 1,260 days is 42 months. It's 42, 30 periods of 30 days. That's the Jewish calendar. So if the, the book of Revelation is using the Jewish calendar, I would think that the, the angel Gabriel here would also be doing the same. And so if that's the case, then what that means is that that's where all this math comes in or, or uh, calendar language here at the bottom of your um, handout comes into play. We'll talk about that here in just a second. The main thing that we need to understand at this point, though, is that 70 weeks has to do with 70 periods of seven years. And that the starting point of this is the decree to rebuild the temple. And the next point that we know about is when the Messiah comes, which is the 69th period of seven years, 483 years later. So, final question. And hopefully we can, we can land this plane and we can figure out where to go from here. Okay? How does this prophecy fit into history? How does this fit into history? Okay? I said the, the starting point was the decree to rebuild the temple. At that point, uh, later on, after Daniel's gone and passed on, then Ezra and Nehemiah come along and they have the responsibility to rebuild this temple. They, they take people from Babylon back to their home, back to Jerusalem, and then they get uh, an order from the king to rebuild the temple. Now, there is a, the first initial order is King Cyrus in 538 B.C., during the time of Daniel, actually. He says, you know what? Take your people back. I know that that's your home. Go back. Restore the temple. But it wasn't until 445 B.C. that King Artaxerxes authorized the rebuilding of the temple, which 
was the official time in which Nehemiah was allowed to begin the work. And so he starts the temple, and then these seven weeks, as is talked about here in Daniel 9, or seven periods of seven, happens before it finally is completed. But what we want to focus in on is the Messiah's coming in verse 25. Remember it said, from the time of the decree, or the rebuilding of the temple, until the Messiah comes is that 69th week. And if you added 69 periods of seven, or 69 times 7 would be 483 years. And if you added that to the time when the temple was to be restored, if you used our years, then you'd come up with the wrong date. You'd come up with in the late 30s A.D. in order to see when Jesus would come. But this is why scholars believe that Jesus actually came uh, and His his coming into the city of Jerusalem, literally riding on a donkey, His triumphal entry happens on March 30th, A.D. 30. And that's because they used the Jewish calendar from the time that King Artaxerxes had decreed the restoration of the temple, add 483 years, but not our years, but their years, their, the Jewish years, and it works out to March 30th, A.D. 30. So that's all that, what that all means there at the bottom of your handout on the first page. So if you can kind of just work through that um, it may or may not be of value to you. Okay, But the point is, is that the Messiah will come. That, that the people of Israel should have discerned from what had been told to Daniel, the Messiah is coming, and that here, here's the time in which He's going to come. It's His first time. Now, we, we need to kind of take this to a next step or next level because that's not where the prophecy ends. Look at verse 26. Then, after the 62 weeks, so Christ has come, in, has come in on the triumphal entry. It's been those 483 years. He's come in, but notice what's going to happen after that time period. The Messiah will be cut off. He's going to be cut off. What do you think that means? I think scholars are in agreement that this, and I think you would readily see this, this has to be referring to is death. And He's cut off by the very people that He came to save, the Jews. He's cut off by having His life taken from Him. Notice what else happens following the 69th week. Verse 26, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing and the people of the Prince, the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The people of the prince who is to come. So let's think about that phrase. The people of the prince who is to come. Which prince are we talking about? I mean, sometimes we think about Christ as the prince. Prince of peace. Rightfully so. Isaiah says, that, says as much. That's completely appropriate to call Him the prince. So maybe Gabriel's talking about the Messiah. But notice, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Is that what Jesus is going to do? Is that what the Messiah's people are going to do? Are they going to destroy the city and the sanctuary? No. So which group of people are we talking about? Which group of people actually destroy the city and the sanctuary in the year A.D. 70? It's it's the Romans. So now let's look at verse 26 again and think about who this prince is. 
After 62 weeks, which is actually the 69th week because the seven weeks has already taken place. So after 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of, now instead of the prince who is to come, we're going to say the people of the Romans. Okay, The Romans of this prince who is to come will destroy the city. The Romans are going to destroy the city. That's what happens in AD 70. Now, that would have been difficult, I think, for Daniel and his people to understand that. But what I'm saying is now that we look back on it, it all makes sense. And so now we can identify who this prince is. Who is the prince of the Romans? Is it talking about the prince of the Romans at that time when the city and and the, the sanctuary are destroyed? No, because it says the prince who is to come. The people of this prince who is to come is going to do it. And the answer is that it is the prince of the Roman Empire that corresponds with Daniel chapter 2, the legs of iron and the dreadful and terrifying beast that's talked about in Daniel 7. Do you remember that fourth beast? He had ten horns. Do you remember the eleventh horn arose from that beast and immediately he destroyed three of those horns. And he rose up to power and he's called the little horn and we know him to be the Antichrist who will rule during the seven year period of the tribulation. And so I would say to you that in verse 26, the people of the prince who is to come is referring to Romans and the prince who is to come is referring to the Antichrist. So let's think about this 70th week. So now we have several things in our timeline. First, the decree for the rebuilding of the temple. That happens during the time of Nehemiah, King Artaxerxes, 445 B.C. The next thing we have on our calendar is that the Messiah will come 69 weeks or 69 periods of seven years after that time. That happens in 30 A.D. when He comes into the city on the triumphal entry. Following that 69 weeks, the Messiah is cut off and given nothing. He's killed. And then the people, the Romans, come in of the prince to come, come in and destroy the city and the sanctuary. That happens in A.D. 70. That happens after the 69th week. But we have one more week that we need to look at, and that's the 70th week. And this is where it starts to help in our application of it. Now what you need to recognize is that the 70th week does not follow immediately after the 69th week. Now we look at calendars, we expect that one week's going to follow the next, right? After this week will be next week, and we don't have any delay in between. But what you need to know is that the 70th week does not follow the 60th week. And the reason I know that is because of verse 26, the Messiah will be cut off, and then the temple will be destroyed. But notice what happens in the 70th week, just to further clarify this. Notice what happens, verse 27, and he that is this prince who is to come, the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Talking about the 70th week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on him who makes desolate. So here's what's going to happen in this 70th week. The prince, the the Antichrist, is going to make a covenant with the Jews for one week, or remember what week means here in this passage, seven years. The Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the Jews for seven years, and in the middle of that time period, he's going to break his covenant. 
He's going to stop, by the way, the treaty that He makes, the covenant that He makes, the agreement, is that you Jews can go back into the temple. You can restore it. You can rebuild it. Remember, the Romans have destroyed it in AD 70. So now whenever this happens, the time of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to say, listen, you can restore temple worship. He's going to solve the conflict in the Middle East because he's going to bring peace to the, the entire world until the midpoint of the tribulation. At which point, he says to the Jews, no longer can you do worship in there. And that's why it talks about in verse 27, this abomination which will come on one who makes desolate. What Jesus would call the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24:15. He's referring to this passage. The disciples are asking Him, Jesus, when will we know that the end has come? How will we know? And Jesus says, you'll know. You'll know because the abomination which causes desolation will take place. That's this. This midpoint blasphemy that takes place when the Antichrist stops temple worship. And you know what he does in his place? Instead of worshiping the true God, he sets himself up to be worshipped. That's the abomination. And Jesus says, you'll know that it happens when that takes place. And once you see that happen, discern this. You need to leave Go to the mountains. Flee. Don't even pack your bags. If you're on the mountaintop or if you're on top of the, the, the house, get down and go. Don't even pack. And he says, how terrible it will be for a woman who's in labor or a woman who's pregnant because it's going to be extremely difficult for her to leave at that time. The point is, is that this Antichrist is going to cause so much trouble on the Jews during that time that they need to flee to the mountains to be safe. That's what happens during the 70th week. Now, let's notice what happens following the 70th week. That's found in verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish... Here's the six things that take place. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and then sixthly, to anoint the most holy place. So, we've seen all these events leading up to the 70th week. We've seen what's happened during the 70th week. Now, what happens after it? All of these six things take place. And of all these six things, there's only one that has already taken place in our timeline of history. And that is the third one. It's about halfway down in your verse 24. To make atonement for iniquity. That's what Jesus did. All the rest of these are all talking about millennial kingdom blessings. So what you need to understand is that we now are in the age of grace, okay, the age of Christ's church. And the very next event on the prophetic calendar is the tribulation. Christ is going to rapture His church. And then, following that, that's when the Antichrist is going to make this treaty with the Jews. And there's going to be a seven-year time where God judges the earth for their defiance against Him. And Jim was reading earlier about the two witnesses who will come during the first half of that tribulation. And these two witnesses are going to testify to God's truthfulness. And they're going to have miraculous powers to be able to destroy people with the words of their mouth. And 140,000 Jews at least are going to come to Christ during that time. Along with many Gentiles, I'm sure. 
but the majority of the population is going to reject Christ. So following that tribulation, Jesus is going to come for the second time. He's going to destroy all those who oppose Him. And that will lead us into the Millennial Kingdom. This is what I'm talking about here. These six things that are talked about in verse 24 will most fully be realized in the Millennial Kingdom. He's going to finish the transgression. He's going to make an end of sin. I mean, since the death of Christ, has sin ended? No, it's going on. You see, at the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom, every citizen will be a believer in Jesus Christ. There will be no defiers of Christ at the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom. There will be an end of sin. He will restore the earth to its proper place. He will bring in everlasting righteousness. He will seal up vision and prophecy, it says there in verse 24. Why would He do that? Well, why would we need special revelation outside uh, of the Bible if we have Christ Himself? There will be special revelation throughout the tribulation. There is special revelation now in the Word of God. But when Christ comes, we have all that we need. He's there. We won't need visions and prophecies to tell us what God's thinking or what God's plan. We have Christ as our ruler. And then the sixth thing is that He will anoint the most holy place in verse 24. This is talking about the Holy of Holies in the Jerusalem temple, which will be reestablished and that will allow the worship of the Jews to be brought back during the Millennial Kingdom. Not for the purpose of atonement for sins. They're not going to bring in sacrifices and say, hey, let's, we need to get atonement for sins. But it's, it's much like our Lord's Supper. It's a memorial offering. We're bringing in the sacrifices so that we can kind of see all the value of Jesus Christ and His finished sacrifice. That all these sacrifices culminated in Christ. These thank offerings. These gift offerings. These atonement sacrifices were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so as the Jews are performing these sacrifices in the Millennial Temple, it will remind them and help show us the great value of our Savior and His sacrifice for us. And so Christ is going to restore that, but that will not happen until the Millennial Kingdom. So, why tell us what's going to happen on the 70th week What's going to happen at the beginning of this time period, the decree for the temple to be restored, 454 B.C.? Why tell us that? Tell us when the Messiah comes. And then skip all this period of time between the Messiah being cut off and the Millennial Kingdom. Why do that? What's missing? Between the time of Christ being cut off and the 70th week, what's missing? The church. Daniel, you missed something. How could you possibly receive a prophecy that doesn't have it all? Or we say, Gabriel, why, why not fill that all in? And the answer is that the angel Gabriel is not responding to what's going to happen in the church. Look at Daniel's prayer again in verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay because of your city and your people who are called by your name. What is Daniel praying about? Is he praying about the future church age? He's praying about his own people, the Jews, and his own city, Jerusalem. And notice how the angel responds in verse 24. 
70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. And then he goes on to give the prophecy. You see, Daniel was praying about his own people and God was answering him according to what he was asking. Now that may sound obvious to you that, oh, well that makes sense. It's a, it's a prophecy to the Jews about the Jews and it's missing the church. That, that makes sense. But it's important for you to understand that because if we don't see this, we might interpret God's answer to think that Daniel's prayer is all about us, the church. But the, but the answer to the prayer corresponds with the request. It has to do with Jerusalem and the, and the Jewish people. And so the entire prophecy skips over. It talks about how you can get from your time period to the time of the Messiah and then when the Israel comes back into play. Between that time, it's not that they're, they go out of existence or anything. There's still some people in Israel who are a part of the church. Praise God for that. But they're not at the center of God's focus during this time period. Why? Because they're not going to be restored until they repent. God is waiting for the Jews to repent. And that's why Paul could say in Ephesians 2 that we have a mystery that has now been revealed to us which in previous generations was hidden. That Do you realize that you know more than the Old Testament prophets? You know more than even the greatest of the Old Testament prophets who is John the Baptist. Do you know why? Because you have information that He didn't have. And that is that Christ has chosen, that God has chosen to exalt Himself through the church. As the church comes together as one body full of diverse people who are coming together one common cause to love Christ and to make Him known. Something that was previously hidden to the Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't see how all their sacrifices culminated in Christ. They didn't see how Christ was going to make one people that was so diversified. They thought, in order to come to God, you have to come through the Jewish people. But friends, we don't have to come through Israel in order to be accepted by God. We come through Jesus Christ. And that means that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can come to God through Christ. He was what was prophesied in the Old Testament to Abraham, that through you, Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You know what the Israelites thought that that was going to be? That you're going to have to come through and do their program, be a part of their, you know, all the men need to be circumcised. Like, no, that's not what it's about. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through this one seed, Christ, who would come with a means by which we can come to God. You see, our sin separates us from God. And we cannot have a proper relationship with Him. He is a consuming fire. And we try to come near Him and we are destroyed unless we have someone who stands in our place. Someone who offers atonement for our sins that should result in our final condemnation, our full condemnation in hell. We need someone to stand in our place to offer atonement for our sins and to stand in perfect righteousness in our place. And that's Jesus. It's not about the Jewish people ultimately. Yes, God has a great plan for them. Even in the 70th week, He has a great plan for them and to follow in the millennial kingdom. 
But in this age, the Jews are being set aside because of their non-repentance so that God can focus on the glory that is in His church. Let me just uh, conclude with three uh, thoughts for us this morning. Hopefully we can try to apply this to our lives. Some heavy lifting when it comes to doctrine, but I hope it will be of value to you. Number one. All right, let's start with the theme here. The Messiah, the Messiah will come to restore favor to His people. That's what this prophecy is about. The Messiah is coming to restore favor to His people. The first point of application is that the, the events of the end times are terrifying. I mean, think about what this must have said to Daniel. That the Messiah is going to be cut off for a period of time. Now, he didn't know that it meant physical death by the Messiah. That, that was unheard of and seemingly impossible. But this is terrifying. And that this Antichrist would come and, and he would conquer during this 70th week. It's frightening. It's even frightening for us to think about it. For all the people who are going to remain on this earth. What are we to do if the end times are so terrifying? And the answer is that Christ is our only hope in darkness. Christ is our only hope in darkness. Only Christ can restore favor to Israel. If the Jews are going to be saved, they must be saved the same way that every person is saved from the fall until the end of the millennial kingdom. And that is they have to be saved by grace through faith in the promised Redeemer. And on this side of the incarnation, that is Christ coming to the earth, that means that we are saved by believing in this promised Redeemer, Jesus the Messiah. He is our only hope in darkness. We can't put our confidence in the Jewish nation. They often fail. We can't put our confidence even in a church. We have to put our confidence in Jesus alone. We recognize that we are sinners in the eyes of the Almighty and Holy God and that we deserve His just wrath and an eternal hell. But, but Christ has offered for us that if we believe in Him, that He died to take our place, to cover over our sins, if we believe that and that He was raised from the dead, then that is what God will accept in order for you to come to Him and to have an eternal relationship with you, with Him. That relationship can start now. And by the way, you can't make that choice when you get to the next life. It will be too late. You have to make the choice now. Jesus is our Savior. And He is the Savior of the Jews as well. But He is only our Savior and their Savior if they trust in His finished work. And if we trust in His finished work, those who reject Jesus in the Messiah, as the Messiah have no hope in their darkness. And then finally, we trust in God's promises. Here's what we can learn from this. We trust in God's promises. As terrifying as the end will be, what I want you to notice is that God will put an end to it. Look at verse 24 again. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sin. So, as terrifying as the end times events may be, God's going to put an end to it. Look at verse 27. And He, the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. In the middle of the week, He'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering and the wing of abomination will come on one who makes desolate. Then notice this part. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. God has promised 
He will put, a, put an end to the most terrifying of world rulers who is the Antichrist. He's going to put an end to him. He's going to put an end to sin and transgression. And it's going to be done. Listen to how Paul describes it in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. Then that lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of His mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of His coming. It's not going to be a huge wrestling match that goes on for round after round. When Christ comes on the scene to enter into the fight, He will slay, He will kill the Antichrist with just a word from His mouth. Here's how Revelation 19.20 promises that it will happen. And the beast, same, this little horn from chapter 4, and this prince who is to come in verse in chapter 9, the beast, this Antichrist, was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two, the Antichrist and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. There's no escaping the lake of fire. There's no escaping it for the Antichrist. There's no escaping it for us unless we trust in Christ our Savior in this lifetime. Christians, our Lord saves and our Savior wins. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. And although... This passage is difficult to work through and think about and understand what we do know and are confident of is that Jesus Christ is the only means of our salvation and that He will be the one who provides final victory. There is no hope in this disputed sovereignty that comes from the Antichrist who takes on the world scene and takes over the economy, takes over the... Uh, the religious worship has everybody worship Him and takes over all the military power by being the commander-in-chief of the entire world. It's a scary proposition to think about Him. But we know that His end will come. That His leadership will only be short-lived and that just with the word of the mouth, our Savior will win. And we will be there to witness it as His church And Lord, we pray that You'd help us to have confidence in that final outcome and in that person, our Savior. Pray that if there's someone here who doesn't see Jesus as their only hope against darkness, that they would recognize Him today and believe that Jesus is enough to satisfy all of Your wrath against us and affect a proper relationship with You. Lord, help us to take great joy in that Certainly we will in the life to come, but even today and for the remainder of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.